everyone, and welcome to the 41st episode. Is that how you say that? 41st? Yeah. I don't think I've ever said that number before. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the 41st episode of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Yeah. How are you, Kayla? I am great. I'm clinging to spooky season like, like a person in the water trying to get saved from drowning <laughs> you're like not normalcy no not christmas no <laughs> i went to uh sam's club and there was christmas stuff everywhere yep but you know what yeah but i mean there was probably christmas stuff before halloween though because they love and that. you know what it's okay it's okay it's another season People love Christmas, mm -hmm. and by all means, please do. So, and this is why you like the Nightmare Before Christmas, because it's a Christmas movie, but still Halloween. Yep, you can watch it from like September through January, and you're golden. Yep, yep. I mean, I can watch it. You can't. I I don't really. I don't like the claymation. Yeah, you and your <sighs> you with no stop motion. It's I don't understand it, but I respect it. I, I also don't understand it. I've, as I told the uh, the men from Savers at the convention, like I don't like the stop motion. I do not like Muppets, but my original like career trajectory was a homicide detective, <laughs> and I've sat in on an autopsy. <laughs> did not get bothered. But my God, you show me a Muppet, and I will squirm. Which is funny because. Yesterday, we watched A Nightmare Before Christmas and the new Muppets Haunted Mansion movie. We watched both of them. Gross. <laughs> and this is why we didn't hang out yesterday, Kayla. Well, Just that because it's also because it was my anniversary and your anniversary. So, yeah. Yeah. It's convenient um, that our anniversaries are on the same day. Yep. Thank you for having a wedding so I could make out with Steve in public. No problem. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> For the first time, just making out with Steve on the dance floor. You know how I do. So, with Steve, that one time. <laughs> two years ago, got married. One year ago, bought a house. Enjoyed my first Halloween in a while where things were just calm. Yeah. We built a fort. We made a giant Love feast. It. We had nice. sweet potatoes and green bean casserole, turkey. Uh, my my favorite triple corn spoon bread. It was all amazing. And then we tried to establish ourselves as the house that hands out full cans of soda to trick-or-treaters. We did not get a lot of trick-or-treaters, but they all got cans of soda and candy. So we will be the cool house. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Of course you're the cool house. <laughs> There's no way you weren't going to be the cool Halloween house. What did you do this weekend? Well... I went to see you play on Friday. Yes. Took, what was it, 238 photos that I sent you? <laughs> I have this thing. It's just ingrained in me that I have to document music events, and no one else was taking photos. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to be the person who takes all the photos. Well, in all fairness, so I did. it was a Two Harbors street dance scenario. That's kind of just one of those events you live and don't document, typically. Oh, not me. Well, not you, but <laughs> growing up in Two Harbors, the that's what we do. The average human. 
Yeah. Uh, Saturday, though, I went to the uh, secret <laughs> Trampled by Turtle mm-hmm. show at Luce. Um, we only stayed for an hour, though. Man, was it packed. It was like old times packed. Oh, that Which ooh. is a little bit anxiety-inducing. Mm-hmm. So we stayed for just an hour. Then we headed on over to Earthrider for Big Wave Dave in the Ripples. And that was fantastic. Got to see all my friends. It was wonderful. I spent Saturday playing at the Top Hat in Superior. How was it? It was good. I like that stage in there. It was fun to play on. Nice, quick, short set. Hung out for a little bit yes. afterwards with my friend Sam was there, my bandmates. And then I walked over to Ride or Die Pizza, which used to be the Thirsty Pagan, and watched Darling Danger play. That is what Ride or Die Pizza was? Yeah, it used to be Thirsty Pagan. Uh, I saw that it was Ride or Die Pizzeria and that they were playing. And I was like, where is that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, the old Thirsty Pagan. The old Pagan. Pagan. Gotcha. So it was great. It was a good weekend. Solid, like, good soup style Halloween. For sure. Also, a little bit of an update. I got notification that 23andMe has received my my sample of spit. Yes. And just today, like two hours ago, they sent me something saying that they were starting the, uh, the genome process. Ooh. And it should be done by November 19th. That's not too long at all. No. So whatever episode comes out after, like, November 19th, if if y'all are interested, I'll be able to tell you my heritage. Although you probably aren't, so... It'll be episode 44. Probably won't. Episode 44? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, with that in mind, after celebrating a very successful spooky season, thank you for everybody who listened and enjoyed Urban Legends October with us. It's time yeah. to get back to normal and talk about some locations. Although this is not quite normal. True, but it's more normal than October was normal. So true. But before we do that, uh, we need a word from our sponsors. Good, because I've been waiting to open this beer until just now. <laughs> so you all know about Earthrider's flagship beer, the Superior Pale Ale. You see it on tap at a ton of local establishments. You see it in six packs on shelves at liquor stores all over Minnesota and Wisconsin. But did you know that you can also get it in 12 packs? That's right. When six is not enough, Earthrider now has 12 packs of the Superior Pale Ale for that light, hoppy, refreshing taste with enough to share with your friends and family. You can find them at select liquor stores and available to go at the Cedar Lounge in Superior, Wisconsin. And like all Earthrider beer, it is made with Lake Superior water and perfect ingredients. For the list of all of Earthrider beers, you can check out their website at earthrider.beer. And we're back. So as you know, last month I visited New York. And it was amazing, as I have said before. Oh, amazing. And I told Brittany I wanted to cover some New York locations because, as always, any trip we take is a great excuse to leave the Midwest. Mm-hmm. If we physically leave the Midwest, we're story-wise gonna leave the Midwest. <laughs> and I had mentioned it in that first episode after we came back, but one of the activities I did with my little sister and my niece was the Greenwich Village Ghost Tour by New York Ghost Tours. 
was a lot of fun. And I was like the nerd taking notes during our tour even. Like yeah, of course writing down all the locations and little side things that they mentioned. Who was surprised? Our guide Serena was super awesome and nice. And every once in a while I'd be like, could you just re- repeat that number for me? And she's like, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> You're good. Did you tell her? I have a podcast. I did. I did tell her about my podcast. Okay. <laughs> and then I gave good. her like one of those old cards that we had for us because I had one with me. Oh, good. I have no idea if she listens. But if you listen, Serena, you were amazing. So bunch of locations on that tour. And I started to write about a lot of them. I was just going to do like mm-hmm. a Greenwich Village episode. But there's a lot of information on these. And I didn't need to overfill information and shorten things down when I could talk about more of these locations later. So today I picked right. two within Greenwich Village. Okay. The first location I'm going to talk about is one of the biggest deals, and that is Washington Square Park. I have heard of Washington Square Park being haunted, um, even outside of the little bit that you've told us, but I don't remember any details. So I'm excited. So Washington Square Park is one of New York City's most popular parks. It is easily identified by the large Washington Square Arch and the large fountain that sits behind the arch that stand at one of its entrances. This is like one of the big New York City photo opportunity spots. It's located in Greenwich Village, neighborhood of Lower Manhattan in New York, obviously. The park is almost always busy as it is one of the most popular hangout spots for many of the students that attend the nearby New York University. Some people even call it the unofficial New York University campus. It has a popular dog park, Food trucks like to set up there, and also it's a place where many buskers and entertainers set up shop to perform for people passing through. I miss New York. While we were taking our tour, which started at 8 o'clock at night, there were still sax players, trombone players, guitarists, drummers set up among different spots among the park. I miss New York. But this place... Where are the buskers in Duluth? Well, they have to buy a permit, and then they can really only set up in Canal. All right. I need that. But this place definitely wasn't always a bustling area for locals and tourists to gather. To understand where this land came from and what it is, we have to go back. Like, way back. Back to when white people arrived in the 17th century in what is now New York City. They encountered indigenous people, known as the Lenape, And those first interactions were mostly amicable, according to historians. So, you know, who knows? Mm. Yeah. They shared land and traded guns, beads, wools, beaver furs, everything. As the myth goes, the Dutch even supposedly, air quote, purchased Manhattan Island from the Lenape in 1626. The transaction, enforced by the eventual building of a wall around the area marked the very beginning of the Lenape's forced mass relocation out of their homeland. Of course. The wall, which started showing up on maps in the 1660s, was built to keep out Native Americans and the British, and it eventually became Wall Street. Manhattan became Manhattan, where part of the Lenape trade route, known as Wikwaskek, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing this, which eventually became Bredaweg, which later became Broadway, and originally, the area known as Greenwich Village was Sepanakin, a Kenarsi fishing village. 
The Canarsi were a tribe of Lenape people, and they did their fishing in what was once a marsh fed by Minetta Brook. That marshland is now Washington Square Park. Interesting. So the Lenape people helped shape the geography of modern-day New York, as you can see just from the names alone. Yeah, a lot. And the Washington Square Park was right inside this area where indigenous people were removed from their home. So not a good start. Not a good start, no. Throughout the period of the United States Revolution, most of the land that was made for farming was acquired by the Common Council of New York, specifically the land located east of the Mineta Creek, which was targeted for a potter's field, which is a public cemetery for impoverished criminal or unidentified citizens to be buried. Yeah, the lesser than And folks. criminal doesn't even really mean criminal. Criminal could mean you're in bad standing with a church, so the church isn't going to let you be buried in their cemetery. Yeah, it was criminal just to be poor most of the time. Mm -hmm. This land would be put to good use when the city of New York suffered a yellow fever epidemic that killed dozens of people initially. Since the land was located away from what was considered New York City at the time, this burial ground was considered perfect because it was far away from the main population, so they considered it safe to bury their disease there as a precaution. In the years to follow, that yellow fever epidemic would strike again and again, eventually killing thousands. This put the potter's field over capacity and with nowhere else to turn. The city sought out new plots to bury the deceased, as well as just kind of continuing to bury others on top of the pre-existing burial grounds. So graves that were supposed to be 8 to 10 feet all of a sudden were 6 feet, 2 feet, like stacking on top. Serena pointed out in her tour that they actually on purpose would make the coffins out of like really thin, not sturdy wood so that they would decompose faster so that they could bury more bodies there. Heaven forbid they have a heavy rainfall and like a practical magic situation happens where like the feet start popping through the ground. In the aftermath of the overflow, the city started brainstorming ways it could transform the potter's field into a public space because by this point, they're like, okay, we've said it's at capacity for a long time. Now it's really at capacity. So what else can we do with this land? Because it's just sitting there, no use to anyone. The cemetery was closed in 1825. At that time, more than 20,000 bodies are estimated to be known to be buried in there. 20? Wait, 20,000? And I would say, oh, maybe it's an exaggeration, except literally both scholarly and normal Googleable sources that I dug up all said 20,000 plus. Oh my God, that's that's a lot of people stacking. Yeah. A year after the closure of the Potter's Field, the city of New York purchased the remaining land that was located to the west of Mineta Creek, and in a short amount of time, the square was laid out and used as a parade ground. Are you familiar with what a parade ground is? No. It's a place that's designed to do military training and hold military parades that showcase America's military might. That's been a thing forever. Wow. The land surrounding the square would soon become a desirable area for real estate purposes, especially residential. People were not scared away by the fact that there was a cemetery. In five years, real estate values shot up 240%. By the 1830s, a row of Greek-style homes were erected on the north side of the square to start, and it just kept growing from there. Because New York had always been a very 
quickly growing city. Basically, until the point where they couldn't fit anything else on that island, it has continued to grow. Right. Park underwent renovations in 1849 and 1850, and it underwent a complete redesign in 1871 when the newly formed New York City Department of Parks began to execute their own plans on how to develop the park. One of the most notable changes included curved walk paths and a water fountain, which was completed in 1852. That sat there for 20 years, and then it was replaced with the other fountain. And they also built the Big Ass Arch. I love the Big Ass Arch, though. The Big Ass Arch was built to celebrate 100 years since George Washington was inaugurated as president. It was supposed to look like the Arc de Triomphe. It's like a victory okay. arch. Oh, a victory arch. Because of the construction of that arch, excavation of the land was needed. At that point in time, the initial discovery of human remains and gravestones occurred. These instances would continue to occur on occasions even well into our current century. Many of these remains, gravestones and coffins, would typically be found more than 8 to 10 feet below the ground, but some, as we said, could be found higher. And there is no telling how many bodies were unearthed during construction that was more recent after it was a burial ground because they might have just been like, eh, meh. Like it wasn't right. old enough to be Throw considered historical. Mark. Right. Bones. Mark. To talk about some of the most recent discoveries. In 2008, old gravestones and 70 to 80 human bones were discovered by archaeologists testing soil as part of the Washington Square Park restoration, according to the New York Times. 2008? Mm -hmm. On October 23rd of 2009, workers updating Washington Square Park unearthed a tombstone from 1799. It was a three-foot-tall sandstone grave marker that was inscribed, Here lies the body of James Jackson, who departed his life the 22nd day of September 1799, aged 28 years, native of the county of Kildare, Ireland. So had it, like, fallen over and then, like, debris was on it, or was it no, just No, it hiding? was buried. That's what I'm saying. They just kept okay. burying things on top of things. In November of 2015, the Department of Design and Construction had a crew digging out a century-old water main in Washington Square Park, and during the dig, the workers stumbled upon two burial vaults containing an estimated total of 30 bodies, and it was determined that the vaults belonged to two churches that shared the burial ground with the potter's field, because mm -hmm. unlike the others where it was just stacks on stacks on stacks, these were legit tombs. Uh, they weren't able to enter it because also whenever you uncover a ground like that, they try not to disturb it. And these tombs were actually in place. So archaeologists put a camera in there to try to read the nameplates. They found nameplates for at least 20 coffins. Did, does the church have a record of who was there? Or wait, was it, was that when the... The churches are no longer there. Situation was... okay. And they believe that these belong to churches that used to exist, but they do not know. In March of this year, the city's Parks Department reinterred fragmentary remains of early New Yorkers found during construction in and around the park. So basically, these findings did not stop construction. They saved the remains to be reinterred later. And they reburied okay. them in the park in a garden. Along with like oh, a plaque. Oh, they put them back in the park then. Mm -hmm. So... That seems a little bit more kosher than other things they could have well, done. Well, and they did it with, like, a memorial service, and mm -hmm. they are fragmentary remains. So the bones of all of these people actually kind of fit in all of one, like, coffin-sized box. Right. So they buried that 
and have a little plaque in there commemorating, commemorating it now. Okay. Because the remains were fragmentary, forensic analysis, which they did try as part of the archaeological, 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 archaeological. That, there you go. <laughs> forensic analysis did not yield any extensive details about the individuals, so they're not sure who these people were for sure. Oh, that's a bummer. Richard J. Moylan, president of the Greenwood Cemetery, said, Making sure that those who have gone before us are remembered with dignity and respect is a critical part of Greenwood's mission. We are honored to provide our expertise on such an important historical project because the Greenwood Cemetery volunteered their services for the excavation and the reinterment. Oh, that's nice of them. One of the stories that has been told about the burial ground was the planting of an oak tree located in another area. It has been said that a public execution occurred there at some point in the 18th or the 19th century. Other stories say that several executions happened there and that this tree was used for executions from a nearby prison. Like a hangman's tree? Exactly. Although they have no records of executions occurring here regularly. It's still a pretty prominent urban legend to this day. They talked about it on the tour and pointed out the tree to me. Though, honestly, for how old of a tree it's supposed to be, it's it wasn't very big. But I don't know how big elms are supposed to get. Right. And if it's if its roots can't go too far down, it probably won't continue to grow as much. Well, and... Is that how trees work? I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. And supposedly, some historians say that the tree did exist, but it is no longer there. They claim that the tree used as the hangman's area was located where the Washington Square Park fountain exists. And then another source said that the tree is the tree, and then they later, for the prisons, built a gallows, which existed where the fountain exists. Oh, so either way, people... Either way, people were hung in Presumably were killed where the fountain was. Yeah, people were hung in the park. Okay. The tree that they pointed out to us, known as the Hangman's Elm, is located in the northwest corner of the park. Local lore states that the last hanging there occurred in 1820 when Rose Butler, who was a slave, was executed for burning down her master's home. While the park is said to be lively during the day, supposedly at night, it's even more lively, just like dead lively. The biggest stories seem to come from New York University students. Mm -hmm. There have been stories of walking and randomly coming across cold spots. Supposedly, sometimes when you're walking the path, you can see a random shadow figure come and go over time. I don't like the shadow figures. There have been reports of red lights floating. Some people claim that where the hangman's elm is, if you're standing at the right time, you can see shadow figures hanging from the tree. Oh, that's even worse. I don't like that at all. There's not a lot of reports of anything happening at the arch or the fountain, but that's because usually it's populated throughout the night. There will be people around, Mm. even if it's not as busy as it could be, there will still be people around. Because New York City, city never sleeps. People always up. Never sleeps, yep. On New Year's Eve of 1989, the Washington Square ghost manifested itself at the Washington Square arch. Bystanders and drivers nearby ran away in the opposite direction of the arch as the ghost floated through and growled at everyone. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) It just sounds like something that would have happened uh, on the Ghostbusters movie. (laughs) It's 
funny. That story isn't real. It's from Ghostbusters 2 when the Ghostbusters were committed <laughs> and Vigo had Oscar and Dana in the Manhattan Museum of Art. I threw it in there to see if see? you'd get it. <laughs> Look, I love Ghostbusters. <laughs> I've always loved Ghostbusters. So that's the story of Washington Square Park because I wanted to include something super brutal with a lot of history. You know I love a lot of history. No, that was fantastic. I, I love how much even just like the indigenous people names kind of like rolled over into stuff that's so crazy popular now and known across the world. I wanted to include that one, like I said, because of the history. That's cool. While that story has a lot of history, there's not a lot of concrete stories because it's a lot of he said, she said. New York University mm -hmm. students describing basic haunting activity. And that's right. probably pretty difficult because it is pretty well populated. And as we know, ghosts don't often show up when there's just a fuck ton of people out there. Right. Or they do and they're not as noticed because there's a fuck ton of people around. Right. Like the that lady in that hotel I covered. Yep. Who will look like a regular person until she disappears. My next story has a lot less historical context, but a lot more specific stories. Because uh, Gay Street is a little different. That's right. Gay Street had to cover Gay Street because Brittany requested it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. G the Gay Street Phantom? Yep. Ghost? Gay Street is a short, twisted Manhattan road west of 6th Avenue. The street has appeared in countless films, including 1943's A Night to Remember, and several music videos, including Sheryl Crow's A Change Would Do You Good. It's also oh. super haunted, apparently. Love it. I wonder if that's why Cheryl went there. There are a few gay bars located on Gay Street. God, I would hope which so. Which you might think is why it's called Gay Street. I see. No. But according to the Bowery Boys history, which is a pretty well-known history group, I guess, a huge misnomer hangs over the origin of the name Gay Street. Its beginnings have nothing to do with the city's LGBTQ culture. In fact, it started out as an alley of stables. And what was most likely named after some early wealthy landowner. There was probably a dude with the last name Gay and they named it after him. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence to say mm -hmm. that it's tied to anything else other than just a name like many streets are given. Wealthy New Yorkers who lived in Waverly Place when Washington Square Park opened in 1826 would keep their horses there. During the same era, a morgue was located in this area and many people believe that the morgue's dead continue to haunt the neighborhood. Many tattered corpses of men and women have been seen slowly shuffling through the streets before vanishing around a corner or just in uh. midair or through a building. The classic ghost walks through a wall scenario. After Gay Street was widened and became an official street in 1833, federal houses began popping up along the west side. Construction of residential buildings slowed when a financial crisis known as the Panic of 1837 caused the commercial activities to kind of slow down. It took like 10 years, I guess, for the economy to bounce back after that. Oh, damn. But after that 10 years, Gay Street slowly began to be more populated by houses. At first, most of its residents were of African-American descent, many of them who were servants of wealthy white families on Washington Square. Not official slaves, because at that point, they weren't counted as that, but Let's call it like it was. They were probably paid very poorly or not servants. at all. Yeah. yeah. 
that makes sense that they would have the black residents go to where the stables used mm-hmm. to be. Fucking white people. But eventually, Gay Street established itself as a place that celebrated the Bohemian Revolution. Speakeasies, taverns, theaters, music venues, everything just kind of popped up right around there. The most famous one is known as the Pirate's Den. The Pirate's Den is located at 12 Gay Street and was built in 1827. The building first housed servants of rich Dutch colonists who lived in their larger homes in the central parts of Manhattan. And then later, 12 Gay Street became the home of several prominent New Yorkers. It was a big draw for people that wanted to do shady business because it has an arched appearance and just looks kind of like a nice little quiet location. So it fit right in and nobody paid much attention to it. Ah, they just walked right past that door. So Gay Street soon became the natural choice for underground drinking establishments during the Prohibition era. Gay old time. In the 1920s, the wicked, corrupt New York City mayor, Jimmy Walker, purchased the building at 12 Gay Street to run a speakeasy. That was the Pirate's Den. Mayor Walker also thought of this tucked away location to be the perfect place to secretly board his mistress, Broadway actress Betty Compton. Of course he did, because why wouldn't the mayor of New York do that? So the parties would supposedly happen on the lower floor and then up top, where's where Betty resided. So picturing big underground parties thrown by the city's mayor himself, night after night, they would just fucking balls to the walls with drinking, dancing, decadence, everything. Even though the music and laughter have gone away, supposedly... People can still hear the clicking of flapper heels on the basement floor, like as if the Pirate's Den legacy continues. And Jimmy Walker like also wasn't secretive about this. I mean, it was secretive, but if he got busted by the cops, he's like, what the fuck are you going to do on the mayor? Right. I pay you. Some report seeing spectral figures of females decked out in full 1920s attire, complete with feathered headbands. And another apparition walks in the basement wearing a black suit with tails supposedly another participant in one of the notorious pirate den parties. A medium was invited to the building to investigate its haunted past, and during her visit, she felt a distraught man, and she said that it felt like a man who was hiding a secret. The medium says that the man claimed to have been interrogated and tortured to death in the pirate's den, and a lot of famous Prohibition-era gangsters frequented these parties, So the thought being that maybe at some point they were allowed to use this to rough up somebody. Could have been disputes over money, drunken arguments, fights over women, because a lot of less than favorable activity happened to women in this area at the time. During the (sighs) 1950s and 60s, acclaimed puppeteer Frank Paris moved his family into 12 Gay Street. Does that name sound familiar at all? No, I just like that he's acclaimed puppeteer. He is. He created Howdy Doody. Oh. Well, yes, I have heard of Howdy Doody. So Paris... Not enough to know the creator, though. (laughs) Paris was a pioneer in puppetry. Supposedly, he actually started out by performing with puppets in Madison Square Garden. Eventually got up to, like, Radio City Music Hall and a lot, a lot of nightclubs. And when popular radio host Buffalo Bob Smith got the idea for a Western-themed puppet and people program for kids in 1947, he asked Paris to create the star, which is how Howdy Doody was created, and was born in the basement of 12 Gay Street. Damn. While the Paris family resided there, 
they experienced a lot of lingering spirits in the building. According to Mr. Paris, he would often hear disembodied footsteps climbing the stairs or the sounds of objects being moved around. The family dog would ferociously bark at dark corners of the home as if like trying to scare away some invisible intruder when the <laughs> other residents of the house would hear nothing at all. In life, the dog fended off the house's spirits. In death, apparently it joined them because after this dog passed away, family members claimed it sometimes could feel it brush up against their legs. Aww. Like it wanted to continue protecting them. Mr. Paris also reported the smell of violets and of frying onions when no one else was in the house. (laughs) Okay. As a result of these occurrences, Paris hired six different mediums to, quote, the bedeviled house in his efforts to solve the puzzle of mystifying phantoms, noises, and odors, unquote. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Seems a little dramatic, but okay. One of the most chilling encounters that the Paris family encountered was while hosting the guests at their home. Downstairs, everyone was enjoying a nice, casual evening until the sound of loud pounding from upstairs abruptly halted conversations. As the unexplainable noise continued to just increase and get louder, the guests looked at each other kind of nervously and asked Mr. Paris if somebody lived upstairs. After a long pause, he said, quote, no one, not a living soul, unquote. Another guest visiting the Paris family recalled a disturbing visit while they were in the home. While they were walking through the house, she paused to look at the doorway leading to the hall and stairs, and she said she saw a man with dark hair, dressed in full evening clothes, complete with a top hat and opera cape. She quickly turned to get Mr. Paris's attention, but before she could point out the strange man, he had disappeared completely like a puff of smoke. Oh, boy. Locals will often spot this same kind of hazy apparition, but with the same appearance, wandering aimlessly along the sidewalk. Perhaps he's unaware of his death and trying to find his way home. And that is the oh, Phantom of Gay Street. Just a dapper man? A dapper, a hazy dapper man walking around trying to find his hazy way home. Hazy dapper man? So, Walter Gibson is another famous older creator. And mm-hmm. he thinks that he is the creator of this spirit, possibly. He was living in the village and he laid out the plot of the shadow there and he would visualize the character moving through the hallways of the house as he wrote and he visualized the character so strongly that he thinks that it was impressed upon the surroundings. Like a toll book. Kinda, yeah. Uh, Lamont Cranston was the main character of Gibson's pulp series, The Shadow, which I actually have listened to a lot. If you like old school radio dramas it's really i think it's really good i enjoy it yeah like radio shows uh podcasts before podcasts were podcasts so basically the phantom of gay street has been seen by many people and he's claiming that he kind of did a tulpa thing and that it's his creation not anybody who lived there at all that's less fun since the 1920s almost every person who lived at 12 gay street experienced something paranormal This included seeing shadows moving up and down the stairwell, hearing footsteps throughout the hall, hearing pounding and moving furniture upstairs, hearing flapper heels in the basement. When another psychic investigated the building years later, 
She claims she overheard the heated and ghostly argument between a woman and a man. She did not get the woman's name. Supposedly, the man gave her the name Ming. So she heard that argument, and then she kind of just dipped out. She's like, no, we're good. Yeah. Hard pass. Hard pass on whatever's happening here. Randy Kodiko, who has lived across the street from 12 Gay Street for 20 years, says... Quote, I wouldn't go in there right now. It's legendary that ghosts live there. This place would be like moving into The Shining, unquote. Ooh. Today, the four-bedroom apartment at 12 Gay Street is a residence, but it didn't list who. So probably some random family. I hope that, you know, they're not haunted. I was going to say, hopefully they're doing okay. I hope everything's fine. Or if they are haunted, they're happy about it. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, that place is pretty well known. I feel like you'd have to like... Be cool yeah. with it. And it's super cute. It's adorable. Oh, is it? Yeah, we just went outside Aww. and the ghost tour was actually very friendly about it. They're like, we're not going to raise our voices because it is a little later. It's like nine o'clock. Right. We're going to just walk outside of here and then we're going to walk away. So that is the story of Washington Square Park and Gay Street or the Phantom of Gay Street. Two really cool locations in New York City. Those were very cool locations. And, I mean, I know nothing about this other than what you've told me, but I'm going to go ahead and say that 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 dapper man is not a tulpa. He is a man from the 1920s who has a top hat, and he's just walking along the street, (laughs) having a gay old time. (laughs) Gay old time. (laughs) From old-timey gay street. So we didn't actually look at... The locations listed before we took the tour we were just going to oh, be surprised okay. so we, we it was right. great and before we even fully got to the corner where they were going to start talking about the phantom of gay street my sister just mm-hmm. looks up and points and says kayla gay street i was like yeah <laughs> it's a very sister reaction for you right there so on a skeptic oh, scale of para to normal para being five Normal being one, what are you going to give Washington Square Park? 4.5. And what are you going to give Gay Street? 4.5. All right. I was going to give them both fours. So high rated, high rated. Yeah. I mean, dude, so much stuff happened. And with a city with that big and rich of a history where so many people are crammed into such a small space for so long. And literally stacked on top of each other after they die. Yeah. 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 So there's a reason there's a lot of haunted locations in New York. By the way, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm I'm looking at houses, and I have Kayla's realtor, and we went and looked at that one house that I really liked, and she said, "Yeah, you know, it's funny. Every house we went to, Kayla was like, do you think it's haunted?' <laughs> and then she was like, "Do you want it to be haunted?" <laughs> and Kayla's like, "Kind of." <laughs> Yeah, and then I ended up buying a house from 1994. There ain't no fucking hauntings here. Wait, we are really close to a cemetery. So by that point, we had been looking at the houses for months. And Dee made sure to point out when we drove up here, she's like, you know. There's a cemetery. It's not very old, (laughs) but there's a cemetery right there. I was like, Dee, you know me. You know. I know. (laughs) It's like, okay, I guess it's not haunted, but it is next to a cemetery. So if you're looking for a realtor in uh, Duluth or the surrounding area, DeFerro will cater to your needs, including trying to find you a haunted house. Yep, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) 
She accepts it. She gets it. She's now dealing with both of us. And she still is like, okay, haunted or not haunted, what are you going for? I believe I said uh, nothing bad. It's happening in all. Preferably no murders. I do understand that, uh, you know, given, given the age of a lot of the houses in Duluth, and I like the older ones, someone most likely statistically has died in them. Very true. And that's okay. That's okay. As long as it's not evil. Very true. Hard pass on the evil. Can we get a commercial break? Because I need to open this beer. Yes, let's do it. Hey everyone, November is here, which means it's getting a little colder outside, and that means events are starting to wrap up at the Earthrider Festival Grounds. But that does not mean that there are no Earthrider events for you to enjoy. The Cedar Lounge, Earthrider Brewery's Tap Room, still has events in full swing. Located at 1715 North 3rd Street in Superior, Wisconsin, they have tons of events coming up over the winter season. For example, every Tuesday, catch bingo and beer. From 6 to 7 p.m., bingo and beer holds your chance to win Earthrider Brewery pints, crowlers and six-packs, and best of all, it's free to play. Other events you can look forward to include the Black Eyed Snakes playing Friday, November 26th, and the North Country Holiday Market on November 27th. For more information on these and future events, you can visit earthrider.beer and click the events tab at the top of the page. And we're back. Yeah. So you told me what you were covering this week, but I do not remember what it was going to be. Uh, if I did, I pick something oh, different. Oh, okay. Perfect. We're good. I decided this uh, this morning when I was at work. <laughs> As is your way. As is the way. This is the way. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think you're going to like it, though. In fact, I'm going to need your help. Okay. Because I do believe that there are going to be a couple of... Uh, little tidbits of information that you can add to this story. Ooh. And there might be singing. Oh, yay. <laughs> uh, obviously, I'm not in Ohio, which is your normal... Singing spot? You know, <laughs> singing spot. <laughs> you love to sing when I'm in Ohio. I'm really curious as to what point in this story you're going to know the people and then start to sing. All right. I'm into it. Yeah. Do you have any idea what I'm covering? Uh, I feel like it has to do with Alexander Hamilton, but that could just be because I have New York on the brain. Yeah. All right. So tonight I'm going to tell you about the Morris Jamel Mansion. Okay. Okay. So the Morris Jamel Mansion was built in 1765 as a summer home for the British Colonel Roger Morris and his wife, Mary F Phillips. Mary Phillips. I think that's how you say that name based upon the spelling. Uh, and fun fact, it is actually the oldest home still standing in Manhattan. Oh, cool. Originally, the house sat on a property of about 135 acres that stretched from Harlem all the way to the Hudson River. And they called their estate Mount Morris because it was built at one of the highest points of Manhattan and offered views of New Jersey, Connecticut, and all of the New York Harbor. It's like how they call the ski hill here Spirit Mountain, even though it has, it's not a mountain. <laughs> right, exactly. It's just, so it's just a really a big hill. hill. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't just a summer home. It was also a working farm with cows, sheep, 
fruit trees, and a variety of other crops. When the American Revolutionary War started in 1776, the family just kind of skedaddled out of there and abandoned the property, which pretty much cleared the way for then General George Washington and his Continental officers to take up occupancy in the mansion that fall and set up their own little fort slash headquarters. Here comes the general, ladies and gentlemen. Here comes the general, the moment you've been waiting for. The pride of Mount Vernon, George Washington. Is that from Alexander Hamilton? It's from Hamilton, yeah. Okay. You're right. The, the musical is just <laughs> called Hamilton. Okay. So it was the perfect location for this because of its position. It was ideal for observing the movements of, you know, the other guys. And George Washington and his band of merry men stayed at the Morris Jamal house from September 14th to October 21st during which Washington planned his first successful victory of the war, which happened during the Battle of Harlem Heights on September 16th, 19... Nope, 1776. <laughs> However, a month or so later, he was forced to retreat from the house, and for the remainder of the war, the house was used as the headquarters for both British and Hessian armies. This is a very uh, history-filled episode. Yeah, I like it. I love it. Well, New York is a history-filled city. It's really old. Yeah. Real old. After the war, the estate was confiscated and then sold by the state of New York to cover war debts. And briefly, the house served as a tavern and famously hosted a dinner with the now President George Washington, his cabinet secretaries, and their spouses on July 10th, 1790, which apparently was meant to be symbolic or whatever because he won his first victory there. Oh, okay. Not long after, the tavern ended up being less than successful, and once again, the mansion was abandoned. Then, in 1810, Eliza and Stephen, you guessed it, Jamel, hence the Morris Jamel house, moved in. So, a little bit about, about the Jamels. Okay. So, Stephen was a... It always goes well when you start laughing when you're like, a little bit about... <laughs> <laughs> let me Let me tell you about the Jamels. <laughs> So Stephen was a wealthy French-Haitian merchant who immigrated to New York some years beforehand, and it was there that he met and married a woman named Eliza Bowen. Now, unlike Stephen, Eliza had grown up in Rhode Island, and her family was extremely poor. Like, by the time she was seven, she and her mother were living in a brothel along with, like, five other women. From there, she and her sister ended up living in a workhouse, then the sisters and their mother moved in with this old woman who had, like, a bit of a, a reputation. Uh, but then their mother and this woman were arrested in 1785 for, quote, keeping a disorderly house. So what you mean to say that is that Eliza had sisters, but their perfume didn't smell like their daddy's got money. She had one sister. I was just making a Hamilton but reference. Yes. Continue. Oh, see, I, I know. I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't care that you get them because Sarah's listening and she's going to get it. <laughs> and Eliza and her sister were once again, after her mom was arrested for keeping a disorderly house, uh, thrown back into the workhouse. Then she became an indentured servant to a sea captain. She bopped around New England for a while, but after her parents died from yellow fever, she was like, fuck it. And she moved to New York City. And there she became an extra in a local theater company. Nice. And although she had kind of a super rocky childhood, uh, word on the street is that she was wicked smart and self-educated. Which, yes, I know that's a Boston accent. 
<laughs> She's wicked smart. So she and Stephen married in 1804. Apparently, she tricked him into marrying her by telling him that she was about to die and that it was her final wish. Uh, but she Fucking wasn't. Eliza, not cool. <laughs> I know, right? That's almost worse than saying that you're like fake pregnant. Yeah. Not cool. Yeah. But neither is cool. Just don't do either. Uh, but it turns out that they had loads of stuff in common. Like the fact that they were both super big fans of Napoleon. Okay. And they ended up traveling between New York and France, like, a bunch. Which she loved because a lot of people in France thought that she was, like, pretty fucking cool. Whereas the people in New York were like, um, did you know that her mother was a sex worker? Oh. Mm-hmm. So, in 1810 where this whole story started, uh, Eliza and Stephen moved into their new summer house, this fabulous estate in Manhattan known as Mount Morris. So the couple continued to bounce between New York and France until about 1816 when Eliza was rumored to have been thrown out of France oh. for riding a carriage covered in Napoleon swag and quote-unquote shouting abuses at the French king. Jesus. Yeah, she was really into Napoleon, like really into him. So she came back to New York, and eventually Stephen came back as well. And somewhere around this time, Stephen's business started to, like, not do so hot. But it's cool because Eliza took to the streets, not in that way, buying and selling land and then renting out properties downtown. And she was a huge success, and she made a lot of money because she was super smart. And because of her savvy business skills, when Stephen died of either pneumonia or from falling on a pitchfork. <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> one or the other. Uh, in 1832, Eliza was named one of the wealthiest women in New York. One thing I found online said in the United States. Okay. Good on her, except for that whole love of Napoleon thing. And then after his death, Eliza married the controversial third United States Vice President, Aaron Burr. That's right. I am talking about Eliza from Hamilton. Not the same Eliza. It is. So wait, no, because the Eliza from Hamilton married Hamilton. I think we're talking about two okay. different Elizas. All Hold right. on, fuck, fuck, so, no, wait, don't, wait, give me two seconds. Okay, so this is Eliza Jamal, 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 which apparently they got married when she was 58 years old, and, aha, okay, yeah, just checking. So, famously... From the, I mean, famously in general, but famously specific, well, specific to the musical. Mm -hmm. Eliza was a Skyler sister. The Skyler sisters, they're looking for a mind at work, work. So it's a Eli uh, uh, Elizabeth Skyler, who is Eliza. Oh. So yes, there are. I mean, she's called Eliza, but is not the same Eliza. And I, now that you were talking about this, I did remember that Burr eventually married. And Eliza, but they are not the same Eliza. Okay. Eliza! That's good to know. <laughs> okay. Well, either way. M from And That's Why We Drink led me astray by telling me it was the same one. I have only it, ever listened to that one. I know, right? What the what? M. Uh, I've only ever really heard that one song from Hamilton. Which one song? My name is Alexander Hamilton. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The, the one, the one that, that says that his name on repeat? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay, so anyway, going back. Going back before I said terrible things <laughs> that were incorrect. 
Sorry. I will I will figure out a way to get the story of Hamilton someday. I don't know. Probably not. Or you can just watch it with me. Yes. Okay. Boom. Perfect. Let's add it to the list. (laughs) All right. So uh, her husband, Stephen, who she tricked into marrying him. Uh, marrying her because uh, she was going to die and then she didn't. It died himself, either of pneumonia or by falling on a pitchfork. So then she married the controversial third United States vice president, Aaron Burr, who you will likely know as the man who killed Alexander, Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton. Now, he just didn't realize that the world was big enough for Hamilton and him. See, and I've never seen the musical... I've only heard that one song, and I'm guessing I'm missing a delightful story about a feud between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Uh, but for those of you who are listeners who are also as ignorant to the story, the saga, as I might say, of Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, according to Wikipedia, Aaron Burr is best known to have had a famous personal conflict with Alexander Hamilton that culminated in Burr killing Hamilton in a famous duel in 1804. It happened in New Jersey. Because everything is legal in New Jersey. (laughs) That sounds about right. So Eliza married this guy, probably to increase her stature in society. And he probably married her for all of her money. Because she's a fantastic boss lady. However, Burr himself, not great with money. And they ended up separating after only four months. Oh, wow. Like, he was really bad with money. And despite his horrible mismanagement of their assets, Eliza actually remained financially stable because she was a badass boss lady, except for the whole Napoleon thing. (laughs) So although they were separated for maybe two years, they wouldn't officially be divorced until September 14th, 1836, which is also the day that Aaron Burr died. And fun fact, she was represented in court by none other than Alexander Hamilton Jr., The son of Alexander Hamilton. I didn't know that. I just, you know, we're in New York because you went to New York. You watched Hamilton. Figured I'd tell you a little bit about someone who was in Hamilton's sphere. I'm about it. I am fascinated. I love it. So after this, she continued to travel back and forth between New York and Europe until eventually dementia took over. And from then on, she remained at the Morris Jamal House until her death in 1865, which... Afterwards, her estate remained suspended in litigation for about 16 years. Oh, wow. The, yeah, there was this enormous property that she had was kind of parceled off, and her fortune was disputed in lawsuits filed by a man named George Washington Bowen, who claimed to be an illegitimate son of hers that she had given birth to, and then just kind of like abandoned in Rhode Island. In the early 1900s, four local chapters of the Daughters of the American Revolution... Ugh, formed the <laughs> Washington's Headquarters Association, and then the mansion was turned into a historic house dedicated to George Washington and the Revolutionary War. Because although he was only there for like about a month, a hundred and something years ago, they felt that Eliza, who had spent considerably more time in the house, was uh, she's a bit too problematic. And so they don't even really like to acknowledge her. But that's okay. Because she loves to haunt the heck out of the place. So she's like, oh, you're not going to talk about me? I'll talk about myself and Napoleon. Yeah, and Napoleon. Uh, I didn't find anything about her talking about Napoleon, but my God, did she love Napoleon. So in 1964, a group of children on a school field trip were waiting on the mansion's lawn 
when an elderly woman appeared on the balcony and told them, shh, my husband is very ill. You'll have to keep quiet. Shortly after, the mansion's curator arrived and the group reported what the old lady had said to them. And the curator assured them that the house was empty and even pointed out that the door was padlocked. Later in their visit, when the children encountered a portrait of Madame Jamal, uh, they identified her as the woman that they had seen out on the balcony. After this happened, the curator decided that he wanted to hold a seance in Madame Jamal's bedroom, which actually was broadcasted live via a radio broadcast. That sounds like a super stupid idea. Right. And in fact, they had whatever was coming through... Uh, <laughs> said things in such a foul language that they had to cut it off the air. <laughs> That's my kind of ghost. Right? Just like, oh, you blah, 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 bleepity, bleepity, bleep. And they probably didn't have that, like, 20-second delay to try and, like, bleep all those swear words. So, yeah, fun. Visitors and staff alike have claimed to hear disembodied voices as well as heavy footsteps when no one else is in the house. One paranormal investigator said that after a visit to the Morris Jamal house, they were listening back to an EVP session that they have recorded in Aaron Burr's room, which I think it's weird that he has his own room. They were only together for four months. But anyway, whatever. Sometimes you got to live with it. Although they hadn't heard it. Ugh, gross. Just gross. We've both done it. Don't act like you haven't. (laughs) I know. Oh, my God. Don't even get you. You experience (laughs) one of those. Jesus Christ. Sorry, Mom, if you're listening to this. I know you don't like it when I swear, but my God. Anyway, although they hadn't heard it at the time, in the recording, there is a voice that is loud enough to, like, echo in the way that the voices of the investigators themselves was echoing. And as to what it's saying, though, one of the team members said, quote, everyone has a different opinion. When I first heard it, I thought it said, he doesn't love you. While some other people thought that they said, uh, they're going to laugh at you. Either way, I don't like either of them. But also both of which could apply. Mm-hmm. Like, her first marriage was a farce. But also, everyone in New York thought that she was a farce. Like, like you are not what you pretend to be. So Well, and either way, know. I don't... Neither of them are good to hear as, like, a ghostly echo. No, they're sad. Yeah. So... It's not uncommon for people to report objects that seem to have moved on their own, doors opening and shutting, and lights turning on and off. Classic. Classic. And on one more recent occasion, when the house and the grounds were closed, two employees heard women upstairs laughing and then a table scraping against the floor. They ran to check every room and they found no one. Uh, But the six-foot-long wooden table in the kitchen had been moved. Quote, We came down here, and that's when we noticed that the table had been shifted. This was really intense to have two disembodied voices and a physical object being moved all at the same time. End quote. People claim to see the apparitions of Hessian soldiers walking the halls, as well as good old George Washington himself. Because apparently he has a lot of stake in this property, even though he was there for a month and then had a dinner. We had a whole ass presence. George Washington say... Whatever you will about him, <clears throat> he kind of sucked. Um, he had a whole ass presence. <laughs> ugh. ugh. You can say ugh, but so, I mean, I'm, I, but I mean, just if you look into the history of it, he no. did like. I know. 
He did all of the He things. did all of the things. So whether you loved him or you hated him, even at that time before it was like a whole big, oh, he's the first president thing, even before that was a thing, you fucking knew who George Washington was. Uh, <laughs> George Washington. Washington. <laughs> George Washington. You knew who George Washington was. To uh, He quote, wished I cared about him. To quote the king. Next to Washington, they all look small. So there you go. I don't. I was really, I was really hoping you were gonna throw out an Elvis quote about George Washington. No, not that king. <laughs> He's next to the king. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. Thank I you. I need very you much. to understand. Also, for every Hamilton reference I've made, there are three I'm letting go. I know. I thought you were gonna say a lot more. I'm trying not to be that person. So I, I'm not gonna be I'm, mad. I don't know about our listeners, but I ain't gonna be sure. I was thinking of our listeners. I knew you'd get it, but still. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't get it, but you get it. And I was going to say, and by get it, you mean wouldn't get it at all, but <laughs> would appreciate exactly. it. Exactly. All right. So the mansion has been featured in paranormal investigations on TV shows like The Holzer Files and Ghost Adventures. Yeah. But you don't have to take Zach's word for it because although the mansion, uh, they tried to stray away from the ghostly reputation, they now fully lean into the ghost tours and if you're not into that, they also just have regular history tours as well. So they kind of glensheened it. They Yes. Yes. They glensheened it. They're like, mm, we don't want to talk about that. And they're like, ah, fine, we'll talk about that, <laughs> I guess. So Vinny Carbone, who is the, or was at some point, maybe still is, I don't know, the public programming events manager at the Morris Jamal House uh, by day, also hosts paranormal investigations at night via insideedition.com quote we actually have claims that eliza jamal herself was saying the house was haunted when she was in it carbone said she was hearing things seeing things and when she passed away her family claims to have seen her here but at the time they didn't want to talk about it it's only in more recent history that it's something that we embrace and incorporate into our public programming end quote <laughs> though on occasion Children will take issue with certain parts of the house. Quote, they'll refuse to walk down the hallway to this back room. They'll say, no, no, can't go down that hall. Bad things down there. Ooh. End quote. I'm telling you, man, kids and pets, if they're telling you not to oh, go someplace, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Why are you doing it? Why would you do that? We had a dog that nobody listened to, and now we have kids that nobody listened to. Just listen. So if you did not know, Lin-Manuel Miranda actually wrote Hamilton in I this house. That. Yeah. So just to add to the whole vibe, he used to hang out there. And I saw, I saw one uh, article where one woman giving a ghost tour would joke about, and there's the ghost of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And then it said, though, he just won a Tony last Monday. So ha <laughs> ha. He's still alive. <laughs> and I was like, I don't I don't know who that uh, tour guide is, but she seems funny. <laughs> and that is my story of the Morris Jamel house in New York City. I loved it. I know. Well, it gave you an opportunity to sing Hamilton. History has its eyes on this house. Yeah. So I... 
you you got to tell these stories of these really cool places that you got to go to. When I went to New York City, I'm actually looking at a t-shirt that says I love New York. Uh, it's on my my thing. None of my friends wanted to go to anything like that. So you yeah, just have to go places I with am me. so glad that you got to. I know. I know we've talked about it, but here's my problem. This is why we're friends, Kayla. This is my problem, though. You have to be open to a lot of walking. We walk everywhere. I'm fine with All right, walking. Then we're good. <laughs> or taking the subway. I love the subway. I love the subway. I'm not sure how I'd feel about the subway, just because you know how I like germs, or really dislike germs, I should say. My sister, my older sister, to specify... At one point, I was standing there just kind of looking out as things were happening, and I had my headphones in because everybody else was very tired, so they were just chilling, and I was hyped. So I had my headphones in, and we were riding the subway, and my sister looked over at me, and she's like, I can just see you living here. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you're just like casually standing on the subway with your hand on a rail, like not bothered by all the things going on down at that end of the car and just existing in your world, and I could see you doing this every day. I was like, I would do this every day. I fucking love this shit. Honestly, I had, I mean, obviously, I also come from a very small town originally, which is everyone who I went to New York with were from my small town because it was our high school theater group. And I had a lot of people at at, at the end of the trip being like, God, I could definitely see you living here. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I want to. It's really only because of the pandemic have I given up my dream of living in a really big city. I haven't given it up yet. I'd like to have, like, a space there one time. I gotta get the, the hubby on board first. Anyway. If if either of us become rich enough, we'll just... Or if we both, mm. we'll get a flat in New York and we'll just bounce back and forth. Timeshare a flat between the two of us? Hell, or the four of us, oh, I suppose, yeah. four. Yeah, fuck yeah. And then the boys probably just won't Deal. go that often. It's, so it's really a timeshare between us two, but we'll call it a timeshare between the four. Yeah, well, we'll we, pay, sh- we share because that's what you do in partnerships. We'll pay three to $4,000 a month for a flat on Broadway that we almost never live in. But but we can Airbnb <laughs> There <it>. you go. <laughs> we'll get the money back. All right, so back to the subject at hand. <laughs> you don't want to talk about Airbnb being this fictional flat on Broadway? What? I think our, I want to talk about it. I don't think our listeners want to hear it. Uh, <laughs> on a skeptic scale of pair to normal, I am going to give the mansion a four. A hesitant four. I was going to lean 3.5, but I'm giving it a four. I was going to go 3.5 simply because I do think that there's enough of a story there. And as we've discussed, New York has a very haunted history and there's a lot that happened. Right. But... The fact that the kids were like, uh-uh, no, I'm, I'm bumping it up Mm-mm. to a four. Mm-mm. Yeah, the kids, the kids there and then also the school children who who saw the woman on the balcony. Yep. And they were like, shh, my husband is ill. Ooh. Which lends us uh, to thinking yeah. that it was probably pneumonia, not the pitchfork <laughs> through the chest. <laughs> yeah, it was... I saw so many things that said pneumonia, and then I was going through the different sources, and then all of a sudden it was like, when he died from a pitchfork. But they had the same date. Oh. And I was like, okay. So pneumonia, pitchfork. All right, all right. There actually is way more drama that's involved with Eliza, but honestly, I could I could do a whole one-hour podcast just on her because she 
did a lot of really weird things. She will. She had affairs. Kill your friends and family to remind you of her love. Da 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 da. I had to get one more reference in. Sorry. For sure. Uh, I, you know, I think I'm going to agree with you. I think I'm going to do a hesitant four. Okay. I like it. The reason why is that like. I read a lot of sources, and maybe they just didn't want to talk about it the way that I wanted them to, but they just didn't really go into a lot of details about why it would be haunted. They're like, oh, the Hessian soldiers. And I was like, why? What happened? <laughs> and they're like, oh, they just were there. And I'm Dude, like, okay. That's the problem. I Once I'm done with school, I'm going to have to suck it up and pay for one of these accesses to journals because... With Googleable sources, you do not get a lot of information or you get a lot of conflicting information. You need a fucking scholarly source. So I will pay for scholarly I mean, sources for the podcast and I will share it with you. I can't do that currently because my scholarly sources are through the college. Okay. Um, also, though, in all fairness, I picked this topic this morning. <laughs> I worked I worked until 4.30. All I'm saying is if I'm going to do this. I went to the store. I have to like start looking at least... 24 hours ahead of time. And then I I got home at 5. And then I started my research. And we started recording at 8. But I looked at a lot of different I things. I believe you. So it wasn't just one. Just I saying. believe you. And I love the topic you picked. It made me so happy in my heart. Matter of fact. There. After you told your story, I text the uh, my sister and my niece real quick to be like, just so you know, there's so many Hamilton references in this week's episode. Because <laughs> I think they're going to be stoked. Yay. There's an entire book written about Eliza, and I really kind of want to read it. Are you it, sure it's about that Eliza know. and not my Eliza? Yes, because it had all this information about uh, the Jamel. Okay, just checking, because we had our Eliza's Eliza confused before. I know. Look. Eliza. M. It's M's fault. M. M. Are you ready for our first Reddit story in a fucking month? Because I picked this yeah. up for you. I scoured. I curated this Reddit story for you. I am really excited. Does it have singing involved? No singing. You know what it does have? House purchasing That's... and Minnesota. Fuck yeah, bud. I All right. This out I'm ready. I'm ready. Hold on. Let me, let me grab my, my beer and let me just get cozy. All right. For all I know, one year from now, this could be you. Mm. Just check it out. If it's a spooky Reddit story, I'm not 100% sure I want it to be me, but let's... Let's see what happens. <laughs> this story was posted in Paranormal seven months ago from the username okay. Informal Warfare. Mm-hmm. The title of this Reddit post, An Angered Presence. The house I bought in northern Minnesota in December of 2015 was haunted. This was my first ever home purchase, and I bought the place myself. Oh, that will be me. I was very excited to own my own place, and the price was pretty reasonable seeing as the home was situated around 30 acres of land. During the purchase process, I learned that the owner was selling it because it was his mother's house and she had passed away. Later, I joined the local volunteer fire department and learned that they had been at the call where the house was when she died in the home. This house was very meticulously kept in a certain way. There were many gardens around the large yard, and the home itself was very well kept, albeit old-fashioned. The seller even passed along several instructions on how to care for the place, and even had a hand-drawn diagram of the plumbing for the pond and the fountain in the backyard. It was a cute house, but not really my style aesthetically. Everything seemed fine until I started making changes to the home. I got married, and my wife and I ripped up all the old carpet and put in laminate floors. 
painted every wall, changed the landscaping, got rid of most of the random gardens, cleared some woods to add to the yard, that sort of thing. I even got rid of the pond in the backyard because it was becoming too much upkeep. That's when the phone started ringing. Yeah. Which doesn't seem strange, except it was a landline phone that had no service. Oh, no. That's not good. We didn't have a landline, and I had checked with the cable company. There was no service to the house. In fact, when I moved in, I had to wait for the local internet company to run a new line underground to the house before I even had internet. The phone was an old see-through phone, like from the 80s or 90s, and it was out on the three-season porch. Do you remember what phone those are? Yeah, they have different colored Yeah, those inside. things are cool. I looked up, I had to look it up just to make sure I knew what it was. And now it's like, it's not just spooky, but you're like, <laughs> I'm nostalgia. Yeah, I wanted one of those so bad. We ignored it at first, but it kept ringing every once in a while. One time I answered it and a robotic-like voice asked for my wife's maiden name and then hung up. Here's the thing. My wife never lived in that house under her maiden name. We didn't move in together until after we were married. One day, while my wife was home alone, the phone started ringing again, and she ignored it. She told me it rang for a long time, and then when she finally gave in and went over to answer it, it stopped just before she got near. Then the wall mirror in our bedroom shattered into pieces. It might be more accurate to say that it exploded. She ran outside and called me at work from the front yard, too scared to go back inside the home. Yeah, that's not a good sign. When I got home, she was still in the yard shaking. I didn't believe her at first, but when I went inside and over to our room, it was unmistakable. The frame of the mirror was still on the wall, but every inch of the bedroom floor was covered in glass. At this point, I had had enough. I cleaned up the glass and then took the phone off the wall and went outside and threw it in the dumpster. As I walked back in the house, I heard the phone start ringing. No. I wish I could say that was the end of it. Ew. For the next year, things started going wrong in every way. We had water damage in our bedroom and had to move into the guest room while I fixed it. Then our house was completely taken over by mice. I mean dozens of them in every dark space. Anytime we went away for a weekend, Ew. we'd come home to find that the mice had their way with the place, getting into every drawer and making a huge mess. They even chewed up our couch so badly we had to throw it out. The power started cutting out, even when the weather was good, once for so long that we had to throw out all of our food. No. Eventually we gave up and put the place the out food. on the market. I quit my job in the area so we could move far away from the place. So far, our new home has been great. We are starting to do some renovations. But just to be safe, before we started, I made sure to d disconnect the phone line and throw out all the old phones. <laughs> oh, that's like the nightmare. I, I literally have this nightmare about a new house. Like, I was, oh, I was listening to, and that's why we drink, did The Conjuring House mm -hmm. this week. And I, even before they did that, I had been thinking about, like, okay, well, what happens if I move into a place, it doesn't feel like there's bad energy, which is what um, one of the daughters from the Perrin family said, that, like, when they checked the place out, it was totally cool and fine. There was nothing weird. It didn't, like, come out and show itself until after they moved in. I'm just like, oh my god, 30-year mortgage. <laughs> what? What? What if it seems fine and then suddenly badness? But with today's market, it's not like I can go to a second showing and be like, Kayla, I need you to come with and do some witchy shit and figure out if you could also sense anything. <laughs> figure it out. I mean, like, you could actually like, call uh, me if you have a heads up because D would be fine with it. That's true. Yes. Okay. So next time I do a house showing, I'll be like, okay. When can Steve go? 
when can Kayla go? <laughs> and Dee will probably be like, this seems a little excessive. And I was like, well, you know how Kayla wanted a haunted house. I don't. I don't want a haunted house. Yeah. I've done that, been there, done that. Well, and for Hard those pass. people listening that don't live in northern Minnesota, it's not abnormal to have a mouse problem. No. But no, that's excessive. Not. And I guarantee you, based on the way this person is describing it, they took measures and it didn't help. And it's definitely not normal right. for your whole ass mirror to shatter on your bedroom floor. So I read, I searched for anything in Minnesota is what I was looking for. And then that came across and I was like, oh, this is perfect. perfect. Uh, that reminds me before we got on our Zoom call to record, Adam Herman from the Bloody Mary episode he messaged us a photo or a, a little terrible cell phone video of the place, Sir Ben's, mm-hmm. which is a local place that we love. And he said, you know how you guys said that you're not supposed to have mirrors directly across from each other? And then he did a little video of a mirror and then he turned around and then there was another mirror. And he's like, no wonder why Sir Ben's is haunted. And then I said, I like, yeah, oh, Adam, no, Adam. our bar, it's broken. And then nobody got the it's reference. It's broken. No, I don't know what the it's reference is. It's a TikTok is. reference. It's okay. It's okay. the episode of me I'm making like references a month and a half that you don't you. get. We haven't had one in like 10 episodes, so it was due. <laughs> so Kayla and I were also talking about that I'm like a month and a half <laughs> behind her on TikTok because I don't watch it as much as she does. Everything she brings up, I do eventually get in my timeline, but it just, it takes a while. <laughs> I'm like, but I'm... I'm a true 35-year-old. I'm just a little bit behind the cool curve. You know you're only like two years younger or older than me, right? Yeah. I'm just checking. All right. If you have a story that you would like to send to us so that we don't have to read Reddit stories and could read your lovely listener story, you can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the Listener Stories tab. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you're comfortable with, no pressure. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. Yes. And thank you for normalizing pronouns. You. you can also find us on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Left of Skeptic and on Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, with that... Welcome back to the first Spooky Wednesday, not of the spooky season. We're heading into holiday season now. Things are going to be good and golden and beautiful and blah, 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 blah. But we thank you for listening anyway. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Bye. Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye! Dude, though, seriously. 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 I stopped it. There's so many songs I wanted to sing.